G'day humans, how you doing, how you holding up, you hanging in there, I'm uh, pretty, pretty, pretty good, you may have heard my recent rants about lockdowns and vaccinations, one is the beginning of the James Matheson, the other is a bonus episode uh, entitled something like lockdown rant, uh, listen to those before you end this episode, um, or if you don't want to hear them on your podcast feed you can also find them on instagram where they exist as little audiogram tiles on my instagram page because this is the fact check of my own random whimsy instead of just spewing barely thought through opinions at you out of my bum hole i thought it might be worth getting someone who actually knows what they're talking about to fact check me and uh, make sure that i'm not getting anything wildly wrong So we tracked down just the man to do it. Stephen Duckett is uh, an extremely knowledgeable health economist. He's held top policy leadership positions in healthcare in Australia and also in Canada. He was the secretary of the health department in Australia, uh, which is a, a public service position. It's not an elected political position. Secretaries in Australia, unlike in America, are basically the most senior public servants uh, of the department. Who They're responsible for the day-to-day running of the department. So uh, it, that's all a, a long roundabout way of saying that he's actually a, he's a genuine expert rather than a political stooge who just runs the department. In fact, he he went to Canada and he ran the province of Alberta's health system. Uh, for a while. Then he came back here. Now he works at the Grattan Institute, which is a think tank. Uh, They had a big impact on Australia's response to COVID-19. They kicked off the national conversation, among other institutions, about shutting down hard and fast and eliminating community transmission. So they've always been sort of on, I suppose, the other side of where I find myself on this debate now. I don't really want to take sides about it because for a very long time, I was extremely pro lockdown and very proud of Australia's response. Uh, I was on the Fifth Column podcast with my buddies in the States uh, last year and was was crowing. Now I perhaps have to eat a bit of humble pie about that, crowing about the success of Australia's lockdown. But it still, it still stands up that Sydney did have 13 months of glorious and total freedom where we were going to concerts and going to the theatre and living normal lives uh, in what now seems like a parallel universe fantasy land of COVID freedom. I suppose it doesn't feel like a fantasy land if you're in any state other than New South Wales or Victoria, because in Western Australia, as you'll hear in this conversation with Stephen, they are still out raging and going to sporting events and going to cafes and going to restaurants and all that sort of stuff without the consequences of such behaviour in the US or UK, which is skyrocketing uh, rates of infection and hospitalizations and death in some of the less vaccinated states of the US. Uh, West Australia currently has the best of all worlds. It is free and also free of COVID. But what it is not free to do is connect with the outside world, is connect with the rest of the country, connect with other countries. And that's a situation that West Australians currently like. But as you will know, if you've been listening to my previous rants, it is not a sustainable situation. And since it's not a situation that any people in Sydney can look forward to at any point in the future, since we now find ourselves in a scenario in which we are living with coronavirus, like it or not, my desire is to understand how we begin to 
accept the pathogen as endemic and not overwhelm our healthcare system, but also not keep cycling in and out of these insane lockdowns. Like how much freedom can we get and how soon? Stephen is the man who knows, he crunches the numbers, he understands all of this. So I hope this is as informative for you as it was for me to speak with the one and only... Oh, I didn't mention what his actual job is. His his actual job is that he is the Health and Aged Care Program Director at the Grattan Institute. Please enjoy Dr. Stephen Duckett. been ranting a little bit lately on the show about my frustrations with the pace of vaccinations and with the language and rhetoric and thinking about lockdowns and my I suppose my suspicion or my fear that the the devil's going to be in the details about what opening up will mean and that there will always be uh, excuses for Western Australia or Tasmania to Keep, keep kicking the can down the road. But why don't you start by maybe just giving us a snapshot of where you see things. I just read your piece in The Age from two days ago about what Victoria should do. Where are we? So Australia has been behind on a vaccine rollout right from the start. Uh, we started in February and of this year. And on the day we started, I think the United States had already vaccinated something like 55 million people. Uh, so we are very, very slow. Now, uh, and that obviously mattered right right at the start. Um, I suppose it didn't matter if we didn't start exactly the same day as everybody else. But what what was the problem is we started late and we were very, very slow. So our vaccination rate is nowhere near where it ought to be by now, principally because of lack of supply. Uh, the lack of supply should be fixed uh, next month, or in October rather. Um, but at the moment, we're still very, you know, on, on, on the lowest side in the, in the world, in a sense, uh, other than in very low-income countries. Because, well, defenders of the government who, and I've been very critical of the government's vaccine rollout too, but its defenders will say, well, in comparison to other uh, countries that didn't have uh, rampant, virulent pandemics uh, in internally, we're not doing, we, we didn't do too badly. So compared to Taiwan and Japan and New Zealand, uh our vaccine rollout wasn't slow. It was only slow because we didn't, we weren't allocated the same quantity of vaccines that you would expect to be allocated to a um, to a country where it was a medical emergency. You don't buy that. I don't think it's a good look if you have to pick and choose who you're going to actually compare yourself with. Um, the reality is, we made the wrong choices in what vaccines we would buy back in June, and because of that. And because two of those vaccine choices we made fell over either completely or half, uh, we're in a bad situation now. And I, I think that's the reality. Um, what, what were those choices, Stephen, back in the, the middle so back, of last year? Back in June or middle of last year, most other countries and the advice given by the highly paid external consultants to the Commonwealth was that most other countries are are investing in a range of vaccines because we didn't know which vaccines were going to work. 
And so we wanted to, all the other countries were hedging our bets. Australia invested in a vaccine developed by the University of Queensland, which was going to be made by CSL. That completely fell over during clinical trials. And the second one they invested in was AstraZeneca to be made by CSL. And that then had problems of uh, vaccine acceptance, really. And so... And then because had, of the, the, the rare blood clotting issue. Because of the rare blood clotting issue. And the way in which the announcements about that were, were sold to the public. So it could have been the case that when the relevant committee made the decision, the government could have said, we are making sure that this vaccine is only used when it is safe and, and really sold it as a positive. But unfortunately, it was not sold as a positive and everybody, you know, we, we ended up with a whole lot of people who could well have taken, who could well have uh, used AstraZeneca, but unfortunately they didn't. Yeah, and it also suffered a bit from uh, early confusion over what the results of the clinical trials were about its its effectiveness as well. I think it was always sort of mischaracterised in the media as being significantly less effective than Pfizer. Exactly, and that is just not the case. Um, the the effectiveness of uh, AstraZeneca in present, preventing deaths and preventing hospitalisation is almost identical uh, to Pfizer. I think there's one or two percent difference. Stephen, what did you make of the the government's uh, sort of approach towards vaccines in June, July, August, September of last year? I mean, I, you know, at the time that they were meeting with Pfizer, I was looking at the dates at which other countries got their Pfizer orders in, and every other Anglophone democracy was sort of, you know, in July, they had their orders in. I think uh, Canada was the last cab off the rank on August 5th. They got their order in for, for Pfizer. And we had this meeting here between the Australian government and Pfizer, where which there are some reports that went very poorly and Pfizer was not terribly impressed and went away. And we came back cap in hand in, I think, was it November or October? Much, much, much later begging for some Pfizer, at which point we weren't able to get an allocation that was adequate. I would have thought that at the time, I mean, we were, the government was spending so much on JobKeeper that you could have thrown all the money in the world at every possible vaccine and it would have been a drop in the bucket in terms of what you were spending every week on JobKeeper to keep the economy going. And that clearly wasn't the thinking. Why do you think it wasn't? So it's very important that this is not with the wisdom of hindsight because at the time people were saying you should invest in a range of vaccines. Uh, both external commentators, uh, people at the University of New South Wales were making that argument at the time. Uh, the consultants to the Commonwealth were making, had showed what every other country was doing. So as I said, this is not in the wisdom of hindsight. At the time they should have known to invest in a range. However, what the, there were, I think there were, we don't know the, the answer, so this is speculation. I think there were two things going at the same, at the t same time. One is the mRNA vaccines, uh, such as Pfizer, were new science, uh, relatively, and I think they were, uh, the Commonwealth was relatively cautious about banking on a, a, a vaccine that they, we didn't know was going to work at the time, whereas other countries did. Uh, the second thing was they were really keen to support Australia, both in manufacturing and in development. So that's why 
I think they went with the UQ, the University of Queensland vaccine. That's why they emphasise the ability for the vaccine to be manufactured in Australia. And by making that call, it meant it had to more or less be an old technology vaccine rather than a new technology vaccine. Right, because we just don't have the ability to manufacture mRNA vaccines in Australia. Well, it would take a long time to develop that capacity. Yeah, right. That is more than six months. To our non-Australian listeners, can you explain as best you can why it seems like we are so hysterical by global standards at the moment? We have a lot of a lot of listeners in the states who I hear from on Twitter saying, I thought that Australians were rugged individualists and resilient and the rest of the world is getting on with life by now and is over it and you've got 60 cases in Victoria and you can't go outside your house after 9pm. What's going on? Yeah, so um, I, I think we have to look back to 2020 when Australia looked at the disasters happening uh, in Europe especially and the Italian situation and we said we do not want to have a world where there's uh, hospitals being overwhelmed and and so on. So surprisingly uh, the states, all of the states, uh, went for a essentially a zero COVID strategy. They, and especially Victoria, when the virus escaped mid-year 2020, they basically closed Victoria down for 110 days. And, and uh, just to clarify for non-Australians, the reason you're talking about the states is because like the US, we are a federation of states and so our, our healthcare systems are governed by state governments rather than by the federal government, as is the case in some other some yeah. other democracies. So, yeah, so, yeah. so there was actually a, a war between the Commonwealth and the states on this very issue, the, the national government and the states. The national government didn't want to close down, but the states uh, had the, the power under the constitution to make uh, public health orders and the like. And so they did. And, uh, and early in the pandemic, Tasmania uh, closed its borders to, other, to people from other states. Western Australia closed their borders. Commonwealth was opposed to that as well. So there's been different policies at play, but basically for most of 2020, the the public was supporting a, a COVID zero approach despite the Commonwealth, the national government being opposed to it. And this slipped over. And then, of course, we then saw the benefits of a COVID zero. Once we'd achieved COVID zero, we could have large gatherings without risks. And, and so we had a, a risk-free uh, life and that and risk- just to just to interject to, to be fair to the the federal government the national government they did ban any foreigners from coming to australia and they required all returning australians to be incarcerated for two weeks in makeshift quarantine hotels which enabled the states to the state lockdowns to be insulated uh from any in- incoming cases so once they were contact traced and isolated in the community a state like New South Wales was able to use a fairly short lockdown of 